0: Need your weekly European football fix? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to On the Continent. I'm Dotton Adebayo.
1: I'm Andy Brussels,
0: And I'm David Cartledge. On today's edition, we look back over a chaotic week for both Barcelona and Juventus. We praise some of the breakout stars from the Champions League this week. And trust me, they've got royalty linked to that. And Bernardo Silva as Fallen Out with Georges Jesus. You'll find out why. And remember, if you've got some questions or things you'd like us to talk about, then do email us. At OTC at footballramble.com is our email address. What a week it's been. I, I know this conversation might be slightly out of time because since Champions League matches were played this week, both France and Germany have announced national lockdowns. So that will affect What's to come going forward?
1: Yeah, it will. And um, in in Germany, we already know that um, everyone's playing behind closed doors from the start of November. The the Geisterspiele, as they they call them, the ghost games. And um, it's hard because you feel as if Germany has done everything and more in terms of leading the response, not just to coronavirus, but coronavirus in football, really, in terms of what they've been able to do with, with the safety protocol. But they are where they are because they've reacted quickly to every situation now going into this weekend we know for example that um, even though they're not obliged to um, play behind closed doors until November of course it's October 31st Halloween on Saturday um, Schalke and mentioned gladback have already said we're already playing behind closed doors so the clubs have taken the initiative which is good yeah David
0: how is this going to pan out will other leagues in Europe follow suit do you think
2: I think everybody will, just to be safe. I don't think anybody wants to take risks. And I think it just goes to show, like you pointed out, Germany have kind of been the beacon in terms of how mm. this is being handled. So for them to have a setback in that way and for them to do that, is, it, it's sad, it is. It's disappointing and it does make you wonder. So I don't think anybody will want to take unnecessary risks. It would, it would probably be silly too.
0: Yeah, let's talk perhaps about how it will affect the Champions League in particular as well. We saw a match earlier this week, um, Juve and Barcelona, that you want to talk about, Andy. An important match. It's slightly disappointing in many different ways. Yeah. Imagine if there are extra restrictions on those matches.
1: It's going to be bonkers, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And what we've seen in, in the opening couple of weeks of the Champions League, Dot, is quite unevenness because, um, you know, we've seen matches in, in Kiev, both for Dynamo Kiev and Shakhtar Donetsk, who we should have pointed out, a playing there on a semi-permanent basis. We should have pointed that out last week. Um, the, 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 they've had 20,000 people in this week. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we saw Ferenc Varos against um, Dynamo Kiev, again, really raucously supported. And funnily enough, when we talk about the situation changing the situation turning, Portugal's been a little bit against the tide because Porto, playing Olympiacos in the Champions League this week, they were allowed 7.5% of capacity, so um, just under 4,000. And then you look at... Um, Benfica, who are playing as we record uh, Standard Liege in the Champions League tonight, they're going to have fans for the first time in seven months. Of that, just under just under five thousand in theirs, so it's quite interesting seeing the fact that there there is no evenness, and and just even with I think four thousand fans in the stadium. That, that's going to give you a massive advantage, really, is, oh, yeah, is, is, yeah. isn't it? Isn't yeah. it in and the you hear,
0: you'll hear the difference, David, won't you? You'll hear the
2: difference from your own supporters. Isn't 100%. I've yeah. been watching a lot of NFL and they've allowed several, they've had about 10%, 15%. in Well, the
1: stadiums are enormous though, yeah, aren't they? exactly. And yeah. so
2: they've allowed, and that has made a big difference. You can, you can hear them. Like sometimes you do forget, oh, there's only 4,000, 5,000 in. The noise that is generated still is quite incredible. So it will make the difference. And certain teams do... Thrive more off the support than than others, as, as you've said.
1: Well, I mean, we've we've already you talked about France at the beginning, dot, and there's, there's been that unevenness in the Champions League as well, because mm. you go back to match day one where uh, Paris Saint Germain have a pretty sad performance actually against Manchester United, sad as, as befitting the, the the environment, and at the same time, the same week, sorry, Rennes play Krasnodar, mm. which is what hour and a half, hour and three quarters away on the train and they um, played with 5,000, and it sounded, as David said, like like 30,000.
2: I remember, I remember watching, I think it was the League on game, who did uh, PSG play, and uh, they had home fans, was it? Right?
1: Lance, Lance yeah. right at the beginning of the season, wasn't and
2: it? What I loved about that is, Every single PSG touch just getting whistled and booed. And I really missed that. <laughs> <laughs> that, that level of petty. I was yes. like, this is why we need find
0: <laughs> Well, you could have argued that every single touch that Juventus uh, had against Barcelona could have been uh, booed <laughs> by their own fans. What a game that was. Eh? I mean, in a week when Barcelona's got its own problems to deal with, Juve had an opportunity here. And they, they just... They didn't look as if they had a defence, to be frank.
1: And it's been, David, an incredible transference of pressure, hasn't it? If we go back to before El Clasico on Saturday, Zidane goes into that with a ton of pressure on him. And they give a really, not glittering, but I think sensible performance in that Real Madrid, particularly in the second half. So the pressure transfers from Zidane. To Koeman, who's lost two successive league games, doesn't use his subs particularly well in the Clasico. Then, you go a little bit further along the line. Now, Juventus come into this having had a bit of a patchy start to the season, as a lot of teams had. They'd just drawn 1-1 with Verona at home last weekend. If anyone, Dotton, should be able to master those behind-closed-doors conditions, apart from Badrix you hear, it should be Juventus, because they were playing games behind-closed-doors, before anyone in Northern Italy, you think of that game against Inter uh, towards the end of last season, the Derby d'Italia that they play behind closed doors. First real big game in Europe behind closed doors. And so with that pressure now on Kuman, they turn up and has he transferred it to Pirlo?
2: Yeah, it was, it was quite incredible. And I think uh, what I'm seeing from UV is, for me, not in the least bit surprising. I think this was always going to happen with Pirlo. Um, There's nothing that I have seen. I thought, all right, okay, well, this is worse than I think or this is better than I think. Everything I thought would happen has kind of happened. I mean, I think it could still get worse as well. Uh, but
0: if, in getting worse, who who is Pirlo going to pass the pressure on? If this is a game of pressure and mm-hmm. went from Zidane uh, to Kooman to Pirlo, it's got to go somewhere else
1: now. Hasn't we, it? We've got to go back to the Derby D'Italia. It's got to be what they play into, surely. <laughs> yeah, see, see Conte lose it on the touchline. I line, love Lord.
2: Conte under pressure. <laughs> yeah. So, so oh, off, uh...
1: everyone loves Conte under pressure <laughs> from
2: an entertainment perspective. Then, <laughs> but, 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 but these
1: these two are intrinsically linked, aren't they? Because when you think of the, the way that Pirlo has set out his vision juventus and he's got a bit more of a free pass than any other coach in his position because he is someone who is you know he may yet prove to be excellent in the job we don't know oh yeah what we do know is he's totally unqualified for it in, in paper you know to lead one of the fantastic players he was to in terms of coaching to lead not assist with lead one of the biggest clubs in the world who've won a string of successive titles, who've been to two Champions League finals under Massimiliano Allegri. I think for him, we expect him, because of what we expect him to be as a player we expect that to transfer immediately to coaching it because exactly... it's about poise and philosophy, isn't it? But it wasn't exactly the same with Zidane when he started at Real
0: Madrid. He he, he didn't have, you know, the... the. the... But did, oh.
1: people, did people ever expect a philosophy from him? No. I think that's different because with Zidane, it's about the personality. Yeah. It's about the aura. Yeah. Whereas with Pirlo, he's a player who... Zidane is just like a naked talent. You know, it's, it's just raw talent. It's unarguable with. Whereas if you look at Pirlo's career, the way he moved from number 10 all the way back, the way that there are, he's, he's a bit like a footballing Elvis. You know, like three lives of Pirlo. There's number 10 Pirlo. There's World Cup winning Pirlo. There's, you know. Fat the,
0: Pirlo, uh, Elvis. Well, we haven't got there yet.
1: <laughs> but but the, the, the 68 comeback special is him at Juventus, isn't it?
0: Oh, I like that.
1: Whereas, I like that. And and because he's someone who, from that position, a, a position that he didn't just play, but defined, really, I think, for, for for people who are interested in football and football culture, we expect him to be able to map out the game as a coach
2: as he could map it out on the pitch. It's exactly, I think, what's expected from Xavi as well. Yes. If you look at Xavi, when he exactly. comes to Barcelona, I don't think it'll be... It'll be some, in, in part on an emotional level, mm. which I think Zidane nailed perfectly. You read any interview with Zidane... He says he relied upon his experiences in the dressing room, how a manager made him feel, and how he responded to it. Mm. So he makes sure now when he looks at players, he feels he can manage and, and deal. And people say, "Well, we're a Gareth Bale," but you I know, was gonna ask, speaking, I was going to ask. I, was gonna ask. <laughs> I can see you. I on. Was ask, <laughs> right. But yes, he, so he has called upon his experiences. Luis Enrique is another one as well, and said, "Look, I'm not the greatest tactician, but I prefer to coach in this manner." Now, it's interesting that is Pelo's remit to be more of a philosopher, shall we say? Mm. But I just wonder what has he shown to, to demonstrate that, to give Juventus that idea?
1: I think the interesting thing is he's kind of taken himself out of that conversation by through, from his very early press conferences at Juventus going, I want to bring back Juventus DNA. That means hard work, um, a winning mentality Mm -hmm. Everything that Conte was, and of course we forget what a huge part of his story Conte was in 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 the in 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 the first years of that brilliant run at Juventus. You know, you know, if if you're talking about the '68 comeback special, there's no doubt that Conte picked out the leather suit for him and and, and put Pirlo behind his name in lights. So I think it's, it's quite interesting him having that goodwill and then sort of nailing his colours to the to the Conte mask, mm. because he's basically saying, like Conte, like Allegri, for me, Juventus is about winning. I, yeah. I don't yeah. care about the aesthetics. Yeah. And the whole reason he's being cut this slack is because of the aesthetics. But this performance against Barcelona, I mean, it's worrying. I mean, they've had some worrying results recently. They, they should have lost at Roma and just about got a draw out of that because of Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, they got, rather fortunately, the, the win over Napoli, which we all know about because of the coronavirus situation, let's be fair, that might not still stand because Napoli are taking that to court and that is going to run and run and run. Um, Then you have the the game against Verona and then you have this where you're playing a Barcelona side that are are vulnerable. And I realise that Cristiano Ronaldo's not there. They have to have a philosophy, whatever their philosophy is, more than leaning on Cristiano. And you think it's so... It's so pre-season-y the way they're playing because you look at that they, they they play with three at the back 10 minutes in Pirlo says this is a bad idea let's switch to four at the back I mean how bad <laughs> does the first 10 minutes have to be for you to go right we've we got to change it now
2: but I think this is the problem they'll have across the course of the season and why Inter a lot of people have made Inter their favourites for Syria, mm. is that what is UV's philosophy because I think when they you look at their dealings in the transfer market it's been very much based upon win now yeah in terms of the player that they bring in. Well, they,
1: Post-Cristiano, they it has to be, doesn't yeah,
2: it? Yeah, they brought in a, an older, sort of more experienced type head. And then when you look, they go after Dzeko for most of the summer, end up with Morata. Mm. They swap Pjanic for Arta as well. It's some really interesting deals. And I just wonder whether they go in line with what Pelo is. So he's a coach who's learned on the job but they're a win-now team.
1: I mean, are they kind of heading towards that sort of Barcelona zone in having a lot of talent, but not a lot of focus? Because there are lots of players at at Juventus that it's easy to love individually. Bernadeschi, who, I mean, really looked as if he'd been dropped from a spaceship when he came on the pitch. The way he ended up giving giving away that penalty uh, was just ridiculous. I mean, I, I I don't even know what he was trying to do. And a player like that, who you think could do with being the key player in a team now mm. interestingly Ousame as I think we mentioned before might have ended up at Juventus right at the end of the transfer window had Bernadeschi agreed to go to Lyon on loan in the opposite direction yeah. he was like no 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 Ligue not for me but it turns out like being a real bit part player at Juventus is for him and he's going to be even more of a bit part player this season with the emergence of well with the signing of of chieso the emergence of some young players as 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 well' it's, it's going to be tough for him but i just wonder if it is just this mulch of talent and that of course is is the challenge for Koeman to make some sort well, of identity out of this well let's let's face it
0: you know the, the... Uh, Barcelona side didn't cover themselves with glory in this match exactly. They they won 2 0, but they had endless opportunities to make it like 10 0 mm. against the Juventus side that was all over the place, um, defensively. Now, I wonder, David, when you when you mentioned Xavi there on the sly, as it were, are you preempting Kuman's demise already?
2: Oh, oh, because uh, these uh, are, oh absolutely, yeah. you have to, you have to, I think, you have to bear that in mind all the time with uh, with Barcelona. And especially what is also going on, um, with it, we'll we'll talk about that later. The presidential situation there, um, you have to look at each manager that comes in at Barcelona is just holding the job for when Xavi eventually comes in, um, and they want to get it right when he comes in. I think they tried to get him in, and, and he and Xavi knew he's like, I'm not coming into this mess. This is this is suicide essentially, um, and he didn't want to do that, so he stayed out there in Qatar, and he'll eventually come back. So Kuman's just getting everything. I think potentially. Bringing a few players through, just keeping them on the steady, making sure they don't decline. Because I think they were, there was this worrying times at Barcelona. I think they can. There is still a chance that they could decline if they don't get it right. But they brought in some interesting players, and I think you saw one of them, Pedri, who 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 I thought was man of the match. Um, and I think kuman will have the remit to bring him through, and then maybe when Javi does eventually arrive, hopefully it will be I think from a Barcelona point of view maybe two to three years time. Because if they have to get him any sooner than that, then clearly the Koeman thing has, has gone wrong. So there's some interesting players there for Koeman to work with and, and where he can take them. But I think he needs to leave the club in a in a decent state for, for when the changing of the guard eventually comes. Because Xavi's figure does loom over that club.
0: It, it is fascinating to see all these big clubs. You're talking, you uh, know, amongst the top, top uh, four or five clubs, mm. certainly in Europe on the continent. And it, it is fascinating to see them unraveling, as it were. And it seems to me that it takes just a little tiny shove for the pile of cards or the castle to come rambling down for all of them. Yeah. they They just, you know. One goal away, it's not even goal, is it? You know, an aspect of philosophy. They're literally just a moment away or possible moment away from the whole thing collapsing. That's not the same when you have low league clubs. They weather the storms that hit them because they're they're, they're built much more resiliently in a way. Whereas these guys, they're like a fine-tuned motor car. You know, you've got a Ferrari there, but if you accidentally put the wrong oil in, um, that's it, gone. Like the other day, yeah. I, I put wrong, I put, um, I've got a diesel car and I put, you know, some of the other mm. uh,
1: fuel in. I don't know what they call Your it. Your wife though. is right to let you only drive once a week, in my opinion. <laughs> you had to bring that in. Thank but, you. but I, I think, when we when we talk about that oil, I, I just wonder what Cumin is in, in that sense. Because, of course, there's so much focus, David, this week, on Bartomeu and his board going. And it is important to reiterate that his board is going. Yeah. Because that means, it's not like Trump leaves and Pence takes over. Yeah. You know, this should be a new broom and everything starting all over again. Yes. But there is no doubt that it could get worse before it gets better. I don't, I don't think, especially with the financial obligations. You look at the last couple of contracts that Bartomeu's signed off, which, you know, that the next regime is, is going to be on the hook for. And, you know, we, we all realize what a legend Gerard Piquet has been. For them, but four years more of contract mm. that that seems like quite a lot to me. Unless he's gonna, is he now? um, what 34? Yeah, four years. Well, he must yeah.
0: think that you know he's well, I know, like, I, I, or I know, something.
1: I know he plays football like he's in carpet slippers sometimes, <laughs> but we don't want him to be at an age where he is obliged to wear carpet slippers. <laughs> I, I, I think if, if you look at that, and Kuman himself, as, as I was saying you've always wondered with Bartimae, because we've known he's going for a long time because he couldn't go beyond March and the next elections. Um, the, the question was always, how much damage can he cause in the rest of his regime? And I think there has to be that question about Kuman as well, because the one thing we saw from the Classico, and fair enough that um, Griezmann got his got his go at Juventus, and I thought, yeah, he could have done with the goal, but globally I thought he did quite well. The fact that Kuman by not bringing on Griezmann and um, Dembele, particularly until into the last 10 minutes of the Classico. Mm. Oh, what does that say about his faith in them? And you're looking at these assets that could continue to get run into the ground.
2: Yeah, no no one can figure out and I hate to single out one player, but I don't think no one can figure out what Griezmann's role is. No. It's, it's, I don't think he can figure yeah, out. Yeah, he looked lost. He looked lost in it this match. completely up in the air um, and you you'd have to say it's potentially one of the biggest flops in terms of a transfer that's been made in the last decade there's not many if you look at the fee you look at the status of the transfer how much it took and think of the saga it went before as well yeah but you have to look it's been an absolute disaster I think from mm. um, all sides flips it back oh. for the Frenchman A oh.
1: oh. that one is going to count a work of art for Griezmann the Louvre is calling Barcelona,
0: they want to hang that one, that one up in their fancy museum in Paris. Okay, let's talk about uh, uh, some of the other Champions League matches as well, and particularly the ones with royalty in here. I've been waiting for this moment for quite some time. For this section, I think it's a, it's a discussion about two very fascinating creative players one of them actually is I think the best player in Europe at the moment I'm not going to say which and the other is royalty
1: so figure that one out yourself <laughs> so Andy where are we going with this royalty business well I, I think we need to talk about the, the, the two young princes of the, the, the Champions League and I know where David wants to go we're going to start with Marcus Turan who was sensational for Borussia Mönchengladbach against Real Madrid uh, this week, um, put them two 0 up. Yeah, absolutely. He played a, f- a blind of a game. I thought he, he, he did, and I think the interesting thing about Turam is, well, obviously, people are going to be interested in his his family and his his, his background. There is an incredible footballing family when you look the at son all the of
0: Lillian Turam. That's right, World Cup winner for that's, France.
1: That's right, and there are a lot of different Turams out there you know his his younger brothers just got into midfield for for nice and they've got quite a strong relationship with nice the family because um lillian was there initially and arsene wenger spirited him away to monaco um but yeah it's 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 quite a a noble bloodline but then it was it was interesting hearing um Uh, Marcus being interviewed after this game when unfortunately they let it slip away in the last couple of minutes and if you look at Gladbach who are very very interesting young side they've conceded last minute goals against Inter and Real Madrid if they hadn't they'd be top of the group with six Mm. points Mm. against Real Madrid and Inter which is absolutely incredible they've been terrific to watch in those games very well organised belying the fact they've got little experience at this level but I think it's worth focusing on Turan simply because people look at the goals and particularly that first goal the half volley from the player yes. pass and him and Alessand player click together who's also from Nice click together so beautifully
0: it took a deflection didn't
1: it um
0: it took a deflection goal so I remember it, it looked like a brilliant goal but it took a deflection
1: yeah a little little, little little bob off the goalkeeper I think yeah, yeah. and um I mean, I mean it, was, it was beautifully struck all the same. And I, I just think people look at this and think Turam is all about the goals. And of course, he was asked about the goals afterwards. And they said, congratulations, you've now scored more Champions League goals than your dad. <laughs> and he said, my dad scored in the Champions League. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't believe it. But I, I think people will look at him and think that's what he's about because he's a striker. But there is so much to his game. I think he was the most impressive new signing outside um, Bayern and Dortmund last season in the Champions League. And at the end of last season, he suffered quite serious ankle damage, went away, had an operation. And you're thinking, it's going to take him a while to get up to speed because it's not just the fact that he's an attacking player and you've got to be careful with ankles and obviously going to get whacked on them a lot. But he's someone who he doesn't drift in and out of games. He puts so much graft into the game. He's someone who's um, a leader on and off the pitch. Mm. Uh, He's um, someone who just gives everything. He makes it very difficult for defenders. Um, He can create. He makes such intelligent runs. And, of course, we talked, I think, last week about him doing the thing where he takes the teammates' shirt when they win, puts it on the, the corner right. flag and waves it about. That's his thing. So he's, he's a leader for the, the dressing room as well, which is, is something at, at 23, I think, as, as well. Of course, he was also the first footballer in Germany who did a George Floyd tribute after scoring a goal. Mm-hmm.
0: He's a brilliant player, David. But for my money, Joe Felix isn't even better creative player and watch him over and over again I
2: can't see what he's doing I'm not going to disagree with you there I think <laughs> <laughs> um, I talk Andy's ear off regularly about the show so. <laughs> I like it it's fun <laughs> yeah. so carry on um, yeah he was just phenomenal again and we're seeing this more often from him this season as well I think we're seeing a more comfortable settled happy player I think I think he's a very, very tough player. Uh, place for a player to go, to adapt to mm. its very specific sort of conditions, very specific manager. It's very difficult, and we've seen some brilliant players fail to do so over the years. But I think it's starting to click for João Felix now. I think Simeone, it's also starting to click for him. I think he had a tough time. I think he has a tough time with players who are like João Felix, very free, free-spirited, liberated sort of players on the field. You, you have to give them a special role, I think, and, and Simeone wasn't too key, uh, keen on doing so. I think now... You're starting to see him, okay, Zhao, you just you can run this team. You can do what you do. He's, all, he's given him more liberation, I feel, actually, than, than Antoine Griezmann had uh, when he was there. I think he was very hamstrung by defensive duties and tracking back and such. But I think Zhao Felix, also, although that he does work deep, he is, it's, it's more about the attack. Come on, create something for us. And he is a very unique player. He's the unique player in that squad in terms of skill set.
1: And I think that's the interesting thing, isn't it, about Joel Felix? And before we go any further, I think a lot of British people struggling with saying Joel. So it's, it's, a, it's a lot of Jow. It's not Jow. And I think after okay, that's after, me. After, after no, it's everyone. It's everyone. After this performance, yes. it's really easy to frame it. It's two parts. Ju, wow. <laughs> that's how it goes wow you just, just remember that. this performance yes. against Salzburg and you'll always remember how to say it <laughs> wow I, I remember that I thank think you the way he ran the team it, I think it goes back and we've maybe mentioned this before David to that little cameo when he came on at, against Leipzig in the Champions League court final ultimately unsuccessful mm. but as you say Simeone may be a little bit reluctant to give him keys for the team but basically he's just waited till his back's turned and stolen them off the desk Yeah, and he's gone right okay this is my team now I demand to run it yeah. and that's what he's done and it's exactly what Atletico need I thought the other interesting thing with him in this performance and of course he scored the two goals is finish for the third goal the winner was unbelievable because mm. that could have got caught under his feet quite easily
2: he's an underrated finisher very really underrated really underrated. Very
1: really underrated yeah. and you know what if Trippier can provide him with more service from the flanks, he'll score his share of headers as yeah. well because that's something that he can do that's relatively untapped he's got a lot of headers at Benfica right. um, so you know he can play as a proper in inverted commas center forward as well but I, th- I think really the the most interesting thing about this performance as well as him as an individual you've always got to look at the relationships in a team of course the click between him and Suarez I think is real I, I think there's something going on there and they, they could suit each yeah. other
2: no, absolutely. I think you know. I think it's really important for a lady to get those connections together, because I think the team a lot of the time is disconnected in an attacking sense. I think in a mm-hmm. defensive sense, they're very, very structured. They're very, very well organized. They know each other's roles. I think they've had a lot of time, um, you know, together now. If you look at the squad, it's pretty much more or less the same: the midfield, the defense. But from attacking, from an attacking sense, they can never seem to get a connection up and running. It always looks a bit fragmented. And especially so since Griezmann left, because Griezmann always dropped off the front line into midfield. He he linked things and I think everybody looked to him to do that. Um, Zhao is uh, starting to do that a lot more now, I think. Uh, he's got the confidence. He's got masses of confidence. He, I, I think he knows how good he can be and uh, you know how good he is already right now. You've got to think about it. It's only his third season in professional football. <laughs> it's, amazing. it's incredible, It's, really. it's absolutely amazing. Yeah. One full season yeah. at Benfica. But prior to that, it was with the B team. And then he's come to Atleti. So that was last season, was his second season as a professional. You look at Mbappe. He had the when he was developing, he had two seasons at Monaco. Mm. Under relative free from relative pressure, I thought. Yes. Obviously, I know they won the league in this in his second year.
1: I mean, I've I've never wanted to be a professional footballer, but I would love to play for Monaco.
2: Yeah. <laughs> let's let's no put let's no put it that way. You know, the Where's, only
0: guy I've ever met who's never wanted to be a professional footballer. All all, all about are.
1: all about leisurely lunches, though. Yeah, uh, course, I, I mean, course. in La Turbie, where they have their training ground, it's it's not a particularly flash training ground, although it will be once they've rebuilt it. But it's like on the top of the rock that overlooks Monaco, it is absolutely magnificent. I could live with work in there every day. Sorry, Islington.
2: <laughs> I, I'm sure your wife would like to join you as well. <laughs> exactly. She wouldn't exactly. have any complaints about it either. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but... Yes, I think if you look at the way he he's now starting to understand the scheme of things, there it's it's very very impressive, and and, and he got he's just still it's very very hard because that fee does weigh him down, it does hang him over. When everybody thinks of Joao Felix, they think of that fee. It was it was a lot of money, but they've got to remember as well how young he is. He's still only twenty. Mm. It's his third season as a professional.
1: The thing that underlined it for me. Oh, you know, there's there's a lot of obvious stuff about how he can give them something a bit, a bit different and how he can technically lead the team and all that sort of stuff. When they played at Celta Vigo the weekend before last and they won 2-0, they're doing, in the closing stages of that, what Atletico have done a million times before. They've got a 1-0 lead, they're kind of letting Celta have the ball and then when they get the ball, they're running it into the corner. Yeah. Which, in some ways, is thought of as unbecoming for an elite team, isn't it? To, to, mm. to do that, That was something that Griezmann was always absolutely fine with, by the way. But what I really loved about that is when they were holding it in the corner, they were doing it very successfully. And Joao Felix then got the ball, bobbed it over the defender's head, little one-two, gets a shot, crashes it off the bar, and Yannick Ferreira-Carrasco puts in the, the, the second one for 2-0 and I think that's an interesting little join they almost came to a compromise it's like yeah I'm cool with us being a team that holds it in the corner but look I can add this to it <laughs> as, as, as yes. well it, it kind of felt like a, a sort of meeting of the two like slightly different views of the game yeah.
2: Yeah. Please, yeah. please don't suffocate my creative expression, sort of thing. Exactly. I've got things to do. You know? Simeone, <laughs> so you know, I know you're a legend here, there, but, you know. He's,
0: he's, he's, I think he's the most exciting prospect, in, not prospect, but, you know, player to watch in uh, European football. Well, he moment. is a
1: prospect to an extent, because he could still get better, couldn't he? And, he, and, he
0: will still get better. And, and whilst yeah. you're giving us pronunciation lessons, it is still Felix, is it? Because I heard you kind of do a Felix kind of Felix. thing. Felix. Yes. Felix. Yeah. So, not only do we have to get our heads around Ju, wow, but as well Felix as well. Yeah, there's a little accent on the. Can't I just. Anyway. Real come that for the season, wieder. From Saragossa to La Pena. the noch der kleine Middelfeldspieler. Figo, viel zu spät gesehen. Und dann getroffen. And we're staying with the Portuguese theme, Andy, uh, because Benfica, a big team over there, obviously, a uh, legendary team over there, have been through elections themselves, and they are the team from whence the likes of Joao Felix came, mm. and not just Joao Felix, but also our own, well, I say our own, <laughs> Bernardo Silva, and yes. he's involved in what's going on at Benfica now, even though he's still at Man City.
1: Yes, I mean, he's very much, as they all are, Benficista for life. Oh, um, um, for life? Benficista. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it sounds great. It's, 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 it's fine. You know you can play these podcasts on half-speed as well. It's, it's fine. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's very interesting, I think, because for us to see a footballer engage with the politics of a club, it's quite unusual. But Bernardo Silva has been campaigning quite hard on uh, social media um, against incumbent president uh, Luis Felipe Vieira. Um, he's been briefing, hasn't he? He's been briefing, as y- they call it in yeah, politics. Yeah, he, he has. Uh, well, more than briefing, he's been shouting it from the rooftops. <laughs> and um, uh, it's, it's the, the election's already happened now and... Um, He's he's, he's won another term, Luis Felipe Vieira. He said it's going to be his final term, which will expire in 2024. So he's got four more years. And um, the interesting thing about this election is, of course, people say, well, Bernardo Silva didn't get the candidate he wanted. Well, he didn't. But I think the interesting thing is this was a record turnout for a Benfica presidential election. And... Luis Felipe Vieira got 64% of the vote. Now, if you compare that with previous elections, the last couple, he's won with 90% plus. So there's been a turn, just as there was earlier in this calendar year, and I know it seems a million years ago now, when Porto had their presidential elections and Georges uh, um, Pinto da Costa, who's been the president there for, what, 40 years, as as, as basically... Um, come up against opposition for, for the first time. And a similar thing happened for him. You had an unusually high turnout. And um, other people challenging him, challenging him his, his way of thinking. Now, with Bernardo, um, th- there was a lot of elements to this. I mean, clearly he's... I mean, he's, he's a very educated, intelligent guy. And he's someone who, you know, has his views on things and has his view on a club that he was with for a long time through from his childhood through the academy etc cetera, etc cetera. um and you know uh, in in terms of um the the way that money's used um in terms of a few scandals um that Vieira has been involved in um there was um um, an email mole scandal as well, which um, Benfica were involved in and that's left a, a lot of fans are uneasy as well. Um, Particularly after all
0: the money that they've made from the likes of João Felix going uh, to Atletico and ex- also uh, exactly. to Bernardo Silva. They Exca- should have a lot of money in the, ex- exactly. in the bank at the moment.
1: Exactly, you're, you're right. And that is what Vieira would argue, for example. He said he would say, well, look at, look at the way Benfica has gone under, under my leadership. Uh, in the past, Benfica were in a lot of debt. The debt has come down. We are selling players far more successfully than Porto who are still thought, I think outside of Portugal as these transfer market gods, which is a bit outdated. It's not really true anymore. In fact, they've, they've been quite lax with that, which is why the pressure came on uh, Pinto de Costa, for example. The other thing that Benfica have done under Vieira is they've brought their TV rights in-house. So rather than selling them to... Um, uh, or like the you know the Portuguese equivalent of the of Sky, oh Sky, yeah, oh, okay. or, or, or whatever mm. they have done. Like for the past what five years now, they've said we keep the rights, and what we're going to do is you buy Benfica TV, and you can watch our home games, and that's the only way you can you can watch them. Mm. Uh, I mean, it was, it was a, it, it's a really interesting way of of doing things, and it's doable if you're Benfica because as I always say, seventy percent of Portuguese people support Benfica interestingly, what they also did in the first year, they had rights to the English Premier League. And obviously that presented a bit of problem if you're a Porto or a sporting fan and you want to watch Manchester United or Chelsea because you don't want to be seen dead by Benfica TV. (laughs) They changed the name to BTV, though I, I tend to think that's a little bit of a cosmetic change. But I think taking it on with the Bernardo Silva element, what's so interesting is the fact that the way that uh, George Jesus, as you said, has come back for his second spell at the club. He's very, very close to Vieira. So when there was this criticism, Jorge Jesus being a the coach and very media visible and B a a loud mouth, let's not beat around the bush. He came straight out and earlier in the week said, you know, the worst fault in a man ingratitude <laughs> and he came out there and they had this big route because like, basically Bernardo Silva has always claimed He's right of course well perhaps but um Bernardo Silva has always claimed he left um, Benfica because George Jesus tried to play him at left back now th- this is kind of a thing that you could believe because of course George Jesus loves to recreate, reinvent, reposition players. He turned Fabio Comentrao from a waster of a winger into a 30 million euro left back. Then he tried to do the same with Lorenzo Melgarejo, rather less successfully. And so it's, it's, it's a believable storyline. Now, what George Jesus said in response to this, he said, this is nonsense. And he says, Everton, who we've just signed from Brazil, they've just signed from Gremio. He said, I get him to play left back in training, but that's because I want him to learn how to Defend and, properly. Yeah. It's a good cover story, at the, at the, at the very least. But I think there's, it's an interesting thing because Bernardo, oh, okay, his candidate didn't win the election and he's taken a public coating from uh, Jorge Jesus, which, you know, he wouldn't be the first and he, he certainly won't be the last. But what I think is interesting is he's repositioned that idea out there that Jorge Jesus is not good at bringing young players through. Bernardo Silva, before he left... Um, Benfica played one first team game one first team game which is astonishing for that sort of talent coming out of a a club that now that must have been the one that Man City watched yeah I think it must have been (laughs) and you you look at that and you think well I mean it's an issue for Benfica going forward because if he doesn't bring through young players and there's an argument that maybe Renato Sanchez doesn't get as many first-team games under Jesus. Maybe Joao Felix doesn't get as many first-team games under Joao Jesus. That has a huge impact on, on Benfica because they need to get these players out there and show them to sell them for it's maximum their business, value. It's their business
2: model. Exactly. They're not even thinking about the player model, it is their business model at the Exa- end of the
1: day. Exactly. Look how much more they got for Sanchez and for Joao Felix from them actually playing in the first team rather than just I'm just having a little suspicion of their potential.
0: And uh, David, I suppose uh, what we're really saying is that, you know, uh, even the great teams that have got 70%, did you say? 70% of the country (laughs) following them, uh, they have their problems. But you would have thought that Benfica, a team of that stature, wouldn't get um, into the sort of messy situations with their former players, particularly when their former players are becoming something of... uh, a legend, after playing only one senior team. How, 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 why haven't they sorted this out? You know, Bernardo Silva shouldn't be briefing against whatever Benfica is doing. There's something fundamentally wrong. I imagine that impacts what's going on in the pitch as well, the fact that the other players who are there.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think Bernardo is probably a special case in that he speaks out about Maybe other Benfica players, former, present have their views, but obviously remain silent for whatever reason. As I say, I think Bernardo's a very different type of character. Um, and I think Ben Figue will probably look upon it as, right, it's, it's just one, you know, voice, shall we say, coming out? it. But so it's a that, powerful one, though. I mean, I mean we're talking it about it one, now because of that. They'll maybe say, you know, and then they've got, you know, they've got George Jesus to come out and, 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 and like I say, give them that public court and then they probably feel... Yeah, that's that's probably all we need to do. That's that's pretty much the you know the line drawn for
1: that. There's no real option when George Jesus is in charge, other than just letting him lead yeah. the way. He's he's that kind of guy. But interestingly, whatever you think about his his record in bringing young players through, and Andre Gomes was in a similar position. He played like a few games for the first team before he was sold off. That that was very much out of Jesus' hands. We have to say that. What he's really good at is developing players. There's no doubt about that. I and mean, we've talked about Cohen Trau. And now he's got this guy who I know you're a big fan of, David. Darwin Nunez. Yeah. And he is a player who's come from... I'd I'd seen really none of before this season. Um, Played in the second tier for Almeria. A lot of Premier League interest. Could have come to the Premier League, but decided, no, I want to be the main man for an attacking team, a team that's going to try and win stuff. And he's had an amazing start. And in fact, because of his work rate, because of his ability to create for others... He was really popular before he'd even scored a goal for Benfica.
2: Yeah, he'd been dropping in with assists. I think before he'd even scored, he'd uh, had five or six assists mm. uh, to his name. And looking at him, you probably wouldn't think that he looks like almost a, a classic target man. A target man. You, you're firing crosses to him. You hit him with pinging with long balls, but he's got so much more in his arsenal in terms of how he how he works, how he drifts into channels, how he drops off into midfield to, to collect the ball. And, and of course, he does get in the penalty area as well. And he certainly did against Lech Poznan in the Europa League. He got a hat-trick. And the <laughs> the quality of the finishes and, and and how they were different as well. Unreal. It was really, really impressive. Um,
0: and Benfica aren't going to be able to hold him in that case. I mean, getting kicked out of the Champions League and everything and all their problems. Where's he going to go to? Sorry to, that I cut you there. I was just but, but, thinking,
1: but, from what you're saying, this is the ideal centre-forward. But we talked we talked about the model. Mm. I mean the sell on is a huge part when you, when you're buying a player is a, is even a big Portuguese club. A huge part is you're buying them to give them a platform in, well, hopefully for them, it would have been the champions league, but it's only been the Europa league as it turned out. And then to sell them on for a lot of money.
2: Yeah. I mean, a few people said to me, funnily enough, they said, Oh, he could have gone somewhere bigger than Benfica. He could have gone to one of the, the major European leagues, top three, top four European leagues. Um, but I thought no like look Benfica have got you know look at the players that they've brought through and as Andy said about development he's a young player who needs to develop he needs to improve some areas of his game um and I think Benfica is he's going to play every single week he's in a, he's got a chance at trophies as well and and I think he you know there's been so many South American success stories at Benfica it's such a good place I think for him it's a, it's an ideal and and what's the rush still in his early 20s. He can move next season. He can move the season after. It, to you reckon? Where,
0: do you, where, where do you think?
2: He looks Premier League style to me. I th- I think, you know, you look at the leap that he's got in terms of his uh, head and quality, physicality, he is very tough. He, he grafts very, very hard worker as well. He does the dirty things, but he has got that bit of style about him. Um, yeah, I, I think the Premier League, I think he could go maybe easy top eight, top
0: six so let's remember that name david is it david nunez or am I da, pronouncing, darwin that's right darwin nunez, darwin uh, nunez. Apologies. yeah and so darwin nunez and, yeah. and that's the way that we
1: say it. is it darwin like charles yeah we're just yeah. we're just calling just, him darwin yeah okay. the, the, the nunez bit is superfluous
2: <laughs> we'll, we'll see how he evolves the next few years <laughs> <laughs>
0: on that note it's time to talk about your games of the weeks, gentlemen. Um, games of the week. What are you going to perhaps uh, pull our coats on and advise us to watch this week, David, us.
2: I'm going for the the game that has become the shit derby in Spain, and that is Tafia versus Valencia.
1: Absolutely oh. no geographical
2: connotations here for a derby. Just the fact that they really, really dislike Don't each like other. It. <laughs> it started a few years ago uh, in a in a Copa del Rey game um and there was lots of toon and frown on the benches a lot of argument a lot of gestures some some crying gestures uh a lot of finger (laughs) wagging it was unbelievably iberian in its pettiness and silliness it was like you know when somebody has a fight and they get oh hold me back hold me back and you know no one's (laughs) gonna throw a punch they just want to be held back it was very much like that but the Shithouse re-level is unbelievable so you just have to watch it to see. And and yes there's a new manager in charge of Valencia. There's a lot of different players involved but the bottom line is Bodalass is slit at half here and that equals box office.
1: I mean, H- Javi Gracia can't match that, can he? I mean, he's such a lovely like...
2: bloke. He's like he, I mean, <laughs> don't get me wrong, he 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 has uh, got he's got a nastiness side to him, but you know in his teams and the way they play, they, their grit uh, and, and work rate and such, you know, they will dig in. But I think in terms of the bloke He's such a lovely, lovely man. You, you want to have a glass of red wine and, and share some tapas with him. Say no, Javi, you have the last brother. <laughs> you know? He's that type of guy.
0: I tell you, I've, I've, I've had fights in the old days where I've begged everybody to hold me back. They didn't hold me
2: back. Go <laughs> <laughs> and <hold> <laughs> <Don't> join Valencia. <laughs> well,
1: that sounds like a cracker, actually. So we'll watch that. What about you, Andy? Um, I'm going to go to Germany for a derby which is rather less of a shit element to it even though a couple of years back the away fans did literally paint the gates of the home team stadium with excrement which is not ideal we will will hope for none of this well there will be none where did they
0: get the excrement from I'm always intrigued whether they defecated themselves or they went and collected it from a depot Uh,
1: it's, it's a good question I mean, I don't think you can generally get it in loot, can you? But um, who, who knows? Not where I live. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, we we are building up to an authentic city derby Friday night. It's early. It's at five thirty UK time between Hamburg and Saint Pauli. Now, this is not just a city derby but a clash of cultures because Hamburg, of course, 1983 European Cup winners. St. Pauli, in terms of trophies, a less glorious history, but the counterculture club in, in Europe. Um, and ha- uh, St. Pauli beat Hamburg for the first time in absolutely ages. Um, last time out. in fact, they did the double over them last season. That the, the last time they'd they'd beaten them full stop was... I guess it would be 2011 when Gerald Asamoah uh, oh. went and scored the winner at, um, at the Volkspark Stadium to um, get St. Pauli the win there. They celebrated it so long and hard that they ended up completely taking their eyes off the ball and getting relegated. <laughs> but I, I don't think they were bothered because they, they, they'd won the derby. And yeah, it was the first time they'd beaten them at Tor, their iconic home stadium for well over a decade uh, last, last season in, in, on their way to doing the double. So Hamburg will want to come back on this one. And at Hamburg, who had a, a kind of interesting start to the season, they've got the first black manager in German professional football in Daniel Thun since the start of this season. And he had a very difficult start to this campaign because bear in mind in his debut in the DFB Pokal, they lost 4-1 away at Dinamo Dresden and one of his new signings had a fight with a couple of people in the crowd. <laughs> you think it can only go up from there. Well, they've won the first five games of the league season. It's an absolutely tremendous start. They've already got a bit of gap at the, at the top of the table. It's an unprecedented third season out of the top flight for them. They have to go up this season. And from the early signs, it looks like they might have the man in tune. So he's, he's a really intelligent bloke, university, university educated. Um, so he's, he's giving them something a little bit different. Their former player, Marcel Janssen, is, is now the president. I mean, he's only 33, 34 now. He retired at 29. So there's a bit of a freshness to Hamburg for the first time in a while. They're getting rid of some of the deadwood They need to go up this season. Great start to the season, but they need to win the Derby to put the memories of last season behind them.
0: Two cracking games of the week. And thank you very much, both of you.
2: This was a Stakhanov production and part of the ACAST Creative Network.